Hello and welcome to another episode of Unpacking the Case, the podcast by David Jones-Bold, the real estate law specialists. I'm joined as always by Richard Snape, our head of legal training. And today we're going to be talking about the Commercial Rent Arrears Coronavirus Act. Hi Richard. I'm Lillian, how are you? I'm good, thank you. Thank you for joining me. Um, We're here to talk again about the Commercial Rent Arrears Coronavirus Act. Uh, We did a news flashback in November. but it's since received the Royal Assent and is now in force. So we're back for an update on it. Do you want to start just by painting the picture of of what happened earlier on and late last year in relation to this? I I suppose it all uh, goes back to, seems like a lifetime ago, but March of 2020, when we um, uh, had the uh, the lockdown legislation, the Coronavirus Act uh, coming into force at the beginning of of the the first lockdown. And amongst other things, it uh, introduced provisions in section 82 of the act whereby you couldn't forfeit premises, uh, business leases within the definition of the 54 Landlord and Tenant Act uh, for non-payment of rent. And that was originally for three months, but kept being extended and extended and extended. And I suppose the other things that happened, um, there were provisions introduced whereby uh, you couldn't uh, claim to all intense commercial rent arrears recovery for non-payment of rent. And um, if uh, you couldn't uh, serve a statutory demand or a winding up petition if the, the reason was COVID. And uh, it was announced that they would all be going. Um, it's, this was last year, they'd all be going as of March the 25th uh, this year. It's early April now, so we were a bit uh, behind schedule because of illness in my home part. And uh, in England, they duly did disappear uh, from uh, legislation, all those things. Uh, on March the 25th, uh, the spring quarter day, legal quarter day, lady day. Uh, but uh, I suppose one thing to perhaps mention is at the last moment, a couple of days beforehand, it was announced by the Welsh Government that they'd extend the Section 82 inability to affect forfeiture for non-payment of rent for another uh, six months until September the 24th. And they've actually introduced some uh, Coronavirus Act alteration of expiry date Wales regulations. It's a good read, Lizzie. You should have a look at it. Uh, accordingly, so across the board, you can't still affect forfeiture for non-payment of rent in Wales. Uh, for commercial premises. But as you mentioned, we did a, a podcast uh, when it was a commercial event, coronavirus bill uh, back in November. The government had basically announced what they intended to, to replace it with uh, in June of 2021. And then there was a bit more detail in August. And they introduced the legislation on November the 9th last year, and the Welsh government followed suit. So it hasn't gone completely as an issue for landlords and tenants. It's been re- replaced by the Coronavirus Act, which uh, the Commercial Rent Coronavirus Act, which received uh, the Royal Assent at the very last moment on March the 24th and came into force the same day. And that's some of the background to it. So what's the latest on the Act now that it's in force? Well, it's introduced as uh, some of the things I'd perhaps mentioned before, but we've got a bit more detail now. It introduces this sort of six month moratorium period where the rent is ring-fenced, but only uh, for uh, premises which were adversely affected by, by, by coronavirus, which is basically properties, you know, we sold premises where you had to either wholly or partly close uh, because of uh, legislation. So we're talking about the, the retail, hospitality, leisure sector in England, at least all the remedies, uh, old remedies are available outside those sectors, but it is 
whether you wholly or partly closed. And it's for the whole duration, even if you were allowed to open, you know, during various lockdowns, the likes. The rent will be protected, or rent that is called for this protected period, which starts on March the 21st. There's actually a, a table um, that's produced in the um, code of practice. There's a mandatory code of practice on this, and they've got this quite handy table as to what's the difference in England and Wales, and what's the sort of you know what different types of premises. So, for instance, you know, if you're you know, a pub or a restaurant, you know, you can claim the rent is protected until you were allowed to fully reopen and weren't limited to number of people at a table and this kind of thing. Uh, so it ended finally in England uh, in July the 18th and in Wales uh, on August the 7th last year. There is provision in the, the Act that they've now introduced whereby they can extend, you know, they can introduce further periods if we have to have another lockdown, heaven forbid. Um, but uh, so that's uh, one of the background, but the rent's going to be protected rent debt now in those uh, sectors and that the landlord and tenants uh, will um, have to try and reach some sort of agreement if the tenant's business is viable. If the tenant's business is not viable, then you know, it's obviously no point in trying to save it. Uh, but they're supposed to reach some voluntary agreement and the landlord offer rent concessions to the tenants and offer to reduce the rent voluntarily. Uh, but if um, they can't voluntarily uh, reach agreements, there is provision whereby either side, as long as they've um, tried to reach agreement with the other, can, can uh, apply for arbitration. I think when we were last talking about it, uh, we didn't know too much about the arbitration and truth be known, we don't know too much and still. Uh, the government's got various approved bodies of arbitrators and people like the Royal Institution of Chartered Surveyors, but obviously we, there's a lot of guidance now as well, statutory guidance that has been introduced, which I'll leave for the people doing the arbitration. But, uh, and we also know a bit more about the process you have to, have tried to engage the other side in deciding what should happen to the rent debt and then you know give notice and they can respond you know within 14 days and if they do then you can apply for the arbitration within 14 days and the whole thing lasts for six months but if you've already started the arbitration process before the six month period you know, September the 24th this year then it'll extend beyond that and there is provision whereby they might extend it further by statutory instrument um, so that's some of the things that have been happening. You say there's a lot of guidance. And it seems that the process, basically, basically the first question is, is the tenants going to be viable? If they reach some sort of consensus, is it going to basically restore or the tenant's business or, or protect the tenant, promote the tenant's business? Um, and uh, you also have to look at uh, whether the landlord um, is going to be rendered insolvent uh, as a consequence. So you have to reach some sort of agreement like that. Uh, shall I tell you something about, you know, little bits of the guidance and the likes, although it is more for perhaps the, the surveyors of this world, valuers. Yeah, please do, yeah. Yeah, it's, it says things like, you, how, how do you decide whether the, the business of the tenants viable includes things like, were they able to pay off the, the rent debts and the debts generally after, you know, the mandatory closures had closed uh, and look, look at liquidity, look at bank statements, look at things like, you know, sort of gross profits, net, net profits, but I'll leave that to other people. 
And uh, what the arbitrators can do is either well, they can reduce the, the rent liability uh, in uh, partially or in full, they can give more time to pay, but there is now a, a limit of uh, two years maximum to, to pay off the arrears or reduce the interest on, on the arrears in whole or in part. But we still don't know quite a few things. I mean, one thing in the arbitration process we don't know definitely is the cost, who's paying for it all, but it usually tends to be the person who's uh, applying for the arbitration will be the tenants. And dependent on people's behaviour, at the end of the arbitration process, probably split 50-50. Another thing which uh, would be a bit worrying for some is the arbitration, unless both parties agree otherwise, is, is open. You know, you'll know exactly what the party's profits and the likes will be. Uh, and... Uh, we don't know still, and I think it's a bit of a problem, uh, if the tenant's got several premises, which obviously large numbers of tenants will, is it on a premises by premises basis or are we holding through property portfolio? So it's been rushed through a little bit, necessarily perhaps, but it is all up and running. You mentioned obviously arbitration still having some own unknown elements to it. Are there any other unresolved problems that you see? There's a lot, but the, the major one, at the, the last moment, the House of Lords introduced provisions which are accepted, which deal with some of this. But the, it's the, the issue of guarantors. The legislation, as it was finally enacted, uh, says that uh, you can't pursue guarantors of the tenant or if there's privity of contract in the older pre-1996 leases uh, you can't pursue the original tenant or if the, the original tenant sent it into an authorised guarantee agreement and an assignment on post-1996 leases you can't pursue them or you know and if there's somebody who has to indemnify you can't pursue if the uh, amount that you're pursuing the back guarantors for if you like is something that's been uh, written off by the arbitration process but depending on the words of the guarantee, you know, can you just pursue the guarantee guarantor first without pursuing the tenants? Uh, it depends very much on what the guarantee agreement says, but um, that's a possibility. There are a few other things which perhaps I should have mentioned, which weren't you know the, the things that you can and cannot do. It's not just pursuing for rent arrears; you can't affect forfeiture. This is quite clear. Uh, you can't do things like. Uh, Effect forfeiture non payment of rent, you can't say winding up petitions for protected rent debt or bankruptcy orders or statutory demands. Something which wasn't in the original coronavirus is you can't um, delve into um, the, uh, the rent deposits or demand topping up of the rent deposits, or commercial rent arrears recovery. So that's all quite clear now. I suppose the other things that they don't seem to have thought about too much is the knock on effects elsewhere in the lease. You want to go into a bit more detail about that? Well, briefly. Um, I mean, break clauses, um, I say one problem with a lot of tenants who wanted to break leases at the moment, they don't need as many premises, they don't need the same type of premises. Uh, most break clauses are dependent on condition precedent that the tenant has to have paid at least the basic rent. So if the tenant hasn't paid the rent, but it's protected rent debt, presumably the landlord can still refuse the tenant the ability to break the lease. Uh, alienation. A lot of tenants are wanting to assign and sublet at the moment because of the same reasons for exercising break clauses. Alienation covenants are usually subject to consent not to be unreasonably withheld and depending on the circumstances, can you reasonably withhold consent because the tenants in arrears with the existing rent and you haven't got sort of guarantees from the incoming tenants and likes. So I think there are quite a few other issues. But I suppose it was a necessary consequence of the, the legislation being rushed through so quickly. 
Okay, thank you very much for that, Richard. That was very helpful. Um, and we'll see you again soon. Will. Thank you, Richard, and thank you to everyone for listening. We look forward to seeing you again in our next episode.